0: Our passage this morning as we go through the Gospel of Luke is Luke 17, beginning in verse 22 through the end of the chapter, Luke 22. Follow along with me as I read. And he said to the disciples, The day will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to another part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it has happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark And the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on that day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, one who is on the housetop and one whose goods are in the house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding in the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Hmm. All of us have learned the importance of hope. Hope. Oftentimes, as you look forward to something, it enables you, as you have hope in your heart, to get through difficult times have you found that out sometimes as you have a difficult week perhaps at work or something's going on in your life but if you have something to look forward to say at the end of the week maybe a nice weekend getaway or or maybe you're going to be going fishing or surfing or some other thing it helps you kind of get through that which you're facing nancy and i had a little anniversary getaway last weekend and it was a difficult week before that, but it could have, looking forward to that getaway weekend gave us kind of a, a spring in our step. We all know that. We've all learned the importance of hope. Well, for Christians, the blessed hope is what? Is the coming of Jesus Christ. Throughout history, that has enabled Christians to endure with patience Because they have the hope, the sure hope of the coming of our Lord Jesus and give us through that. Now, in our passage, Jesus begins to talk about that day. Now, the context, if you'll see in verse 20, as we saw the last time I was with you, the Pharisees were asking about what? The kingdom of God. Do you remember? And then he talked about that the kingdom of God is in their midst. I mean, we talked about that implication. But then he turns to his disciples and he begins to talk about the days of the Son of Man. And what he said to his disciples that day also applies much more to us today. But you want to notice as we kind of go through this, that there's a particular theme that he is kind of leaning towards. And as you read these scriptures, you begin to see it. But let's we'll let allow that to develop as we as we look at what Jesus told his disciples. Now he's speaking, not to the Pharisees. Notice, and he said to his disciples, those who believed on him. Okay, there's two aspects that I want to cover. The first is found looking at the whole passage, we need to understand what the phrase the days of the Son of Man means. What does he mean when he says, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man? I believe this phrase, the days of the Son of Man, is also applicable to the phrase that we see throughout the Old Testament and sometimes in the New Testament, but more in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. Scriptures speak throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament, the day of the Lord. Now, what does the day of the Lord mean? It's the same as what Jesus is talking about here. The day of the Lord is when Jesus Christ comes back, and he comes to face a Christ-rejecting world. He comes to bring justice and establish his kingdom here on this earth. There was promises made to Israel that we'd be fulfilled in the day of the Lord. The Davidic kingdom will be set up. He will rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's the package. When we speak of the day of the Lord, we're speaking about justice and righteousness being established. Christ coming to face the the forces of the Antichrist, defeat them and establish his kingdom. Okay, now there's a lot of scenarios when that starts and when it ends, but that's really not the point here. When he's speaking about the day of the Lord, he's speaking about that aspect. Justice and righteousness being established. The kingdom of David in the person of the Messiah will be set up and established. Okay. Now, what's being described here in our verses 22 through 37? He gives us a broad overview. Now, if you're looking for a more detailed explanation, kind of sequential explanation, you'll find it in the passages that I mentioned in your bulletin. You'll also find it here in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 21. And also you will find a much more detailed analysis of the day of the Lord in the book of Revelation. But don't be looking for that in this particular passage. There are elements there. He's going to focus on the characteristics of that day, but not all the characteristics. He's going to hone it in on just one theme. One of the themes of the characteristics of those days. Now, what he has here is one particular theme in mind. And with that theme, and it will develop as we go along, you'll see that there are several characteristics of that day. So we're not going to look at all the aspects and when it's going to happen in the sequence of events. That's not Jesus' point here. So just put that aside. Just listen to what he says about one particular theme and the characteristics of that theme. So I want to take a look in verses 22-37. Second thing we need to understand is what characterizes that day. Let's take a look. First thing, first thing, verses 23 through 25, is the longing for that day. As we approach that day, as we approach the day of the Lord, the days of the Son of Man, there'll be longing for that day. Notice what he says. The days will come when you will see, you'll long to see that one of the days of the Son of Man. That has been true from the day he left. Amen? The church has always longed to see the, the kingdom established. In Romans chapter 8, it says what? Even creation does what? Groans, longs for to see the revelation of the sons of men. He's talking about the day of the Lord. That has been true throughout all of church age. Uh, As we view the, uh, the collapse of morale here in our country, as we see people moving further and further away from true godliness, our heart breaks and grieves. For that which we see and we long for it to take place. Lord, when? When are you going to come? When are you going to establish justice? When are you going to apply your righteousness to the things here on this earth? When are the promises that we see in the Bible going to be fulfilled? There's that longing for the day of the Lord. Or as Jesus says, the days of the Son of Man. So he recognizes that. Now, notice however, verse 23. In that day, there's a possibility of being deceived. Do you see that? Some will say, look here, look there. Jesus is here, Jesus is here. What is he talking about? Because you're longing for that day, we're looking forward to it. Oftentimes, throughout history, it's been proved to be true, that people intentionally or unintentionally have said things about that day, that it's here, and people have been what? deceived and misled and that's happened throughout history hasn't it yes it has people naming dates people saying here jesus is already here secretly he arrived years ago and he's in a secret place not true now we saw that as we approached the year 2000 do you remember why 2k do you remember that silliness (laughs) Do you remember as, as we got closer and closer to January 2000, it was intensified and even some major Christian figures were really, were, you know, there's going to be riots in the streets and get your guns and your ammo and your food because we're going down. Do you remember that? And many Christians got kind of involved in it. Maybe, maybe you did. Maybe some of your friends did. Have big barrels of oatmeal and rice and all that silliness. You see, there's a potential there. So Jesus, Jesus warns us, warns us. Uh, there's a possibility that longing will cause us to be deceived, or at least misled. Verse 24. He gives a reason why. Why we shouldn't follow along with all that possible deceptions. For verse 24. For just as the lightning when it flashes from one part of the sky to the other. There's the reason we shouldn't listen to all these things because when Jesus comes back, everybody's going to see. Nobody's going to be saying, what's going on? Everybody will know. Now, he's not talking about what we call the rapture here where the church is taken up because that happens in what? A twinkling of an eye just happens. Boom, we're gone. We're out of here. He's talking about the day that Christ Christ comes down literally and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, like it says. And he comes to fight the forces of the Antichrist in the Valley of Jezreel. He's talking about that day. When that happens, everybody, (laughs) everybody will know what's happening. Now, there is a clue, however. If you're here, If you're here during that time, and I don't plan to be here. If you're here, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, you might want to write that down. Gives us a clue. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation. What is that? That is when the Antichrist enters in to the rebuilt Jerusalem temple, declares himself as God and some say even erects a statue of himself to be worshipped as God. When that happens, when you see the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist enters into the rebuilt Jewish Jerusalem, there will be 1290 days, (laughs) and it's coming down. Now, I don't plan to be here, but if you're there, watch out. If you see him do that, there will be 1290 days, and then Christ comes. Now, notice verse 25. And verse 25 is specifically for the people of Jesus' day. Notice what he says. But first he must suffer. Who is it? Christ must suffer. So he, now there was a lot of pressure on Jesus from his disciples and his believers. Are you going to establish the kingdom now? And he's telling them, ain't going to happen now. Ain't going to happen now. This first coming it's not going down. He's got to suffer and be rejected by the people. So the first aspect of what Jesus is talking about, of the characteristics of that day. They'll be longing for him to come, but they'll have some parts to that. The next thing he says, the next element of what characterizes that day, is there's parallels. There's two parallels to that day. Now, the reason Jesus turns to the Hebrew Scriptures it's because people, as he describes what he's going to say, will begin to say, oh, come on. Nothing like that ever happened before. What are you talking about? How is that going to happen? And Jesus says, oh, really? Well, here, come on. Let's look at the scriptures. Two parallels. The first parallel is found in verses 26 through 27, which is what? The days of Noah. The days of Noah. Now, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, calls Noah a what? A preacher of righteousness. Now, if you look in Genesis chapter 6, which is this story is found, you think, well, it doesn't say too much about that. But you can imagine what was happening. Noah's building this rather large boat. And he's starting to collect some animals. And his neighbors come along and say, <laughs> kind of with a, you know, Noah... What in heaven's name are you doing? You're building a boat miles from the ocean? What is the deal? And what's with the animals, kid? And Noah goes around and he's a preacher of righteousness. He says, God has told me he's bringing judgment on the earth because of the sin and wickedness. And I am building a boat. And only those, only those who were in the boat will be saved. Now, Noah was a good guy. And so his neighbors thought, oh, you know, and they didn't get on him, really. You know, they kind of humored him and laughed at this rather large boat that he's building. And they went on their way. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says that when he was doing that, he was doing what? He was condemning that world. He was condemning that civilization. And as time went on, what happened? Their good humor and their kidding turned to antagonism towards him because he was doing what as he built that boat as it got finished he was condemning their world and their morality and everything that they believed in and then one day God told him get the animals in the boat Noah get the animals in the boat get your family in the boat and then it said and God not Noah God shut the door The rains came, and everyone who wasn't in the boat was killed. Days of Noah. There's a parallel there. Then he turns to the days of Lot, Genesis chapter 19. You remember the story. Once again, Peter, in his writing in his second epistle, picks up the words of Jesus. And he calls Lot a righteous man who was grieved so by the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. I think Peter is being very generous with Lot because if you read chapter 19, you can see that Lot has some hesitation. He had to be pulled out of that place. But nevertheless, he was there and he came away. Now, remember he went to his two sons-in-law and said, hey guys, God's going to judge this place. And they looked at him as if he was what? Jesting. And so the only people that left Sodom and Gomorrah that morning were Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And when they left the city, when they exited the city, fire and brimstone fell on on both those cities. And everybody in those cities was killed. Remember those two events. So Jesus is using these from the Hebrew Scriptures so that people don't say, oh, get out of here. What are you talking about? Now, did you notice the two similarities between the parallels? Did you notice first, what does it say? Verse 27. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Until the day Noah entered the ark, and then verses, uh, verse twenty-eight, the days of Lot. They were planting, building, buying, selling. None of those things are wrong. But what's the point there? They were all focused on the, th- the things of this physical world. There was no, there was no spiritual implication there. there. The, everything was about what they were doing in that day. You know, buying and selling. Nothing, no sinful there. But it, what it was is. And the point that Jesus is making <laughs> is their, their society, their morality had completely collapsed. Completely collapsed. And they were continuing on as if, there's no problem. What's the problem? Oh, well, whatever. We're just continuing on. And the second similarity is they ignored the warnings. Noah told them. He told him, and it took a long time for him and his sons to build that rather large ark. It took a long time, and he was telling him over and over again, over and over again, come on, come on, help me, repent, come and join me, help me build this ark. Because judgment of God is coming. But only him and his family got in the ark with the animals. And everyone else ignored the warnings. And they were killed. And the same thing with Lot. He warned them. He talked to his son-in-law and probably several others. Get out of the city. Get out of the city. They paid no attention. And as soon as his family was out of the city, fire and brimstone came down. And Jesus says, just as it happened in the days of Noah, just as it happened in the days of Lot, so it will happen in the days of the Son of Man. Wow. There's parallels to that day. Then the third aspect is the danger in that day. The danger in that day. As we approach the days of the Sons of Man, there's a danger for believers. What is it? The key is in verse 32. Do you notice that? Remember Lot's wife. Well, why remember Lot's wife? What's so special about her? Well, you remember. Remember the story? Genesis 19. She turned and looked. She took a peek. And she was turned to what? A pillar of salt. Now, oh, wait a minute. Just When I first read that, well, I said, what's the deal? It wasn't in the peaking. It was where her heart was. She was looking back and longing for that which she had left. You see, ethnically economically, socially, and morally. That where was where her heart was. She didn't want to leave. She left at the insistence of her husband. Now Lot had to be dragged out, but he knew that was wrong, and he pulled away from it. But she was longing for it. And what Jesus is telling us is that there's a danger that will cause us to compromise who we are and what we are, because of the love of the world and the care for the riches of this world. Jesus gives us the principle in verse 33. Whoever seeks his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. That's why he says in verse 31, don't bother about your stuff. Don't worry about your stuff. Now, the question that Jesus would ask us from this passage is, How committed are we to the things of this world? Where's our importance? Where's our emphasis? Because there's a danger that the cares of this world and the love of riches would cause us to compromise our Christian faith as we come upon these days. Now the book of 2 Peter, as I've quoted, has some interesting things to say about that day. Perhaps Peter was listening to Jesus I know he was and so he refers to this this event. but in second Peter chapter 3, let me read something to you. Second Peter three verses three and four. Peter writes, knowing this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking and will say, following after their own lusts, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as it was from creation. That's the spirit of the age, okay? Why do you guys keep talking about the second coming of Christ? Oh, everything's just going to continue as it always has since... The beginning of creation. There's no second coming. Come on, get a life. When we start talking about the second coming of Christ, they look at us as if we're talking and we have lobsters going out of our ears. What are you guys, crazy? Don't waste your life. Don't give yourself to this false idea of the second coming of Christ. Live in this world. Enjoy the things of this world. And they said the same thing to Noah. Oh, Noah, Noah, why are you building this incredibly big boat? Why waste your life on that idea? And Lot, when he left the city, Lot, don't leave your house. Come on, don't leave. Come on, you got things going here. We're going to get married to your daughters. Don't leave. Come on, don't leave the city. Nothing's going to happen. That's a crazy idea. Fire and brimstone from heaven? What are you, crazy? Uh, And those voices speak to us today. They speak as clearly as I. The second coming of Christ. Oh, come on. You really don't believe that, do you? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So there's that danger. The world will call us away from our commitment to the second coming of Christ and call us away to compromise that which we know to be true and to look back with longing at the things of this world. Finally, in verses 34 through 37, we have the results of that day. Notice what it says. And that night, there'll be two in a bed. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women grinding. One will be taken. The other left. Two men working in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. And then the cryptic saying of Jesus, when they ask him, where are those people being taken? He says, where the body is, there's the vultures are gathered. I don't like that. What does that mean? Well, some would say, and at first reading, he's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the rapture. You know, uh, somebody's in bed, but only one will be taken. You know, Christian, the non-believer will be left. Two people will be working in the field. One, one taken. He's a Christian, or she's a Christian. The other one left, it's a non-believer. Mm, I don't. I don't like that interpretation. I hope I don't upset you. Uh, and the reason I like an interpretation, I I have problems with 50-50 of the rapture. Why? Well, Jesus says what? Wide is the way that leads to destruction. And what? Many, many there goes. But what? Narrow is the way and what? Few that go. Mm. Plus, I don't like the vulture thing. uh, You know, going with Jesus, being with vultures, you know why? Because you know what vultures do? They eat dead things. Mm, I don't like that. Well, what's what's, uh, the other main idea of what's being said here? It's talking about the terrible loss of life. The terrible loss of life on that day you say well where do you get that well i'm glad you asked me because i'm going to tell you revelation chapter six revelation chapter six verse eight talking about the fourth seal and it says one fourth of the earth will be killed with a sword with famine pestilence and wild beasts now i'm not a great mathematician so let's look at it this way there's right now, there's 6 mil- billion people on the earth, right? But let's say there's just 4 billion. Just, just, I don't know there's 6, but this is easy for me. Okay, one-fourth of the world's population would be killed. Okay, that means after that, there'll be only what? 3 billion. Because one-fourth, you know, one. Okay, so 3 billion. Okay. Then you go to Revelation chapter 9, verse 15 and we have the sixth trumpet and the angels release they kill a third of mankind now there was 3 billion left and the third would be what? 1 more billion so what do you got? 2 billion left so between those two just those two events half the world's population is killed and that's what we see here, 50-50. Wow. And then that fits in with the whole vulture thing. <laughs> that seems to work a little bit better for me, at least for me. The results of that day, two-eyed, terrible loss of life, terrible loss of life, those who were alive in the planet that day. Okay. Well, you're saying, well, Neil, you told us uh, there was a major thought and a theme. Did you see the theme that Jesus is driving home? He hasn't talked about all the, you know, here's the problem with Christians. When they think about that day, they think about being with Jesus and all the happy, wonderful things and being in heaven and and all those are true. But that's not what Jesus is talking about to his disciples that day. What is he talking about? The horror of the day of the Lord. Why is he telling us? Two reasons. First, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 tells us, one, that If we're in Christ Jesus, we will not experience the wrath of God. So what is he telling us? He's telling us, get in the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the boat now. Get out of the city now. That's what he's saying. You better make sure you're in the boat. Because everybody who wasn't in the boat or everybody who was in the city they perished. Right. Get in the boat now. Accept Christ now. Live for Jesus now. And the second reason he said this is found in First Peter three fifteen, where it says that we should be able to give an answer to everyone for the what the hope that is in us, <laughs> the hope that's in us, and what is the hope? the hope of the blessed coming, the hope of Jesus. We need to be thinking about all of our friends, our family members, our neighbors who were not in the boat. (laughs) They're not in the boat yet. They're still in the city. And our emphasis should be first for us to get in the boat and second to realize the terrible consequences of that day. And have a heart for the lost. And have a heart for those who are not in the boat. Who are still living in the city. Because when that day comes, we'll be rejoicing with Jesus. But many, many will not. And will face the very wrath of God. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples on that day. And that's what he's saying to me at the Calvary Chapel Mission Viejo in this passage. I long for the days of the Son of Man, but along with Jesus, my heart breaks at the thought of many who are still living in the city, who are still not in the boat. May we be the people, maybe we be the people who tell them, get in the boat. <laughs> Get in the boat. There's no salvation other than if you're in the boat. Amen? Father, thank you for this word that you're speaking to us personally here. May the power and the love of Jesus so impact us with this message that we might help many of our friends, our family members, our neighbors our missions folks all around the world to tell the people the days of the Son of Man are coming. We need to get out of the city. We need to get out of that boat. Get into the boat, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me this morning. There'll be an opportunity this morning as we close our service, if we can pray for you for whatever is going on. Perhaps you have medical emergency, you need prayer or something going on in your life where it's just time, you need, you know, I need prayer for maybe a job situation or whatever it is. Uh, There'll be men, some ladies up front, we can pray for you, please. Come forward. Now I would be remiss as your pastor if I didn't say this morning to you personally, I'm speaking to you personally, are you in the boat? Are you in the boat? Do you have Christ? Do you know for sure that if the day of the Lord were to come, you would find yourself with God's people rather than experiencing the wrath of God? That's not true for you. If you've never opened your life to Christ, God has brought you today here to hear this message because it's not a message of fire and brimstone, not at all. It's a message of His love for you. He tells us these things to warn us. Now, if I was walking around with something hanging out of my nose or a little bit of breakfast on our mustache, would you just let me continue on through the whole service? And everybody thinking, what's that sticking out of Pastor Neal's nose? <laughs> would you do that? No. If you were my friend, you would do what? You'd tell me. So Jesus tells us. You're not in the boat, pal. You need to get in the boat. Not to condemn us, but to what? Save us. Because of its love. And if you've never experienced that in your life, I'd like you to, this morning, just slip out of your chair and come on up forward. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to make sure that you have the hope of the second coming of Christ and not the fear of the second coming of Christ. Is that true for anyone? Would you like to accept Christ if you've never accepted Christ this morning? Would you like to come forward and pray with me? Just for a moment. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. We have some information we want to give to you.